Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Koinonia Church Message Library. Our hope is that today's message encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus. We are confident that God's Word is living and active and is relevant for us today. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. Well, for those of you who may not know, we are in the middle of a series called That You May Know, and it is on 1 John. It's all about the book of 1 John. We're just walking through the book. And the, the book of 1 John is an amazing book. I don't know if you've read it before, but if you haven't, I encourage you to read along with us and just allow the truth of it to, to get inside of you. It's a simple book. It's an easy-to-understand book for the most part, and uh, it's, it's just a great, great uh, encouragement to us. I'm, before I get into the, the passage that I'm going to focus on, which is 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27, I'm going to touch on some of the verses that Pastor Brian uh, introduced to us last week. As you heard, we, we shared some big news, and so he basically just got to read it, <laughs> the passage. So I'm going to jump into it and uh, share a few key things that I think are important for us as we prepare to get into the, the passage we're going to focus on. So in 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, John addresses the readers that he's writing to, and he addresses their identity, who they are as true believers in Jesus. And this is going to be important because in the passage we're going to focus on, he's going to start talking about some people who are not true believers. And so he, he's addressing them, he's affirming their identity, he uh, encourages them and the experience that they have had with God and how God is at work in their lives. And then in verses 15 through 17, he goes from describing the church to describing the world and how Christians, how we as Christians, are to relate to the world. And this is where I want to touch on. So verse 15 says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Anybody know John 3.16? For God so loved... The, hang on a second. What is going on here? Because John wrote that too. <laughs> For God so loved the world, but here John is saying, do not love the world or the things in the world. What, what the hecketh? I mean, this is strange. See, in the New Testament... It's important to understand that the term the world, which is the Greek word cosmos, it can refer, I'm simplifying this for you, it can refer in very two, to two very general categories. One is the people that God has created, humanity and the universe and his good creation. And that's what John 3.16 is referring to. God wants us to love the people that are in this world that he has created in his image. God loves those people so much that he sent his son to save us. And everybody said, thank you, Jesus, and amen. Right. Now, the second category is the world system. In other words, it's referring to everything is, that has been corrupted by sin and is opposed to God. Worldly attitudes, worldly values. That is the thing that we are not to love. And we can see that that's what John is talking about because in verse 16 he says, 
For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God continues to live forever. So what John is talking about is this fallen, broken, these broken, sinful desires that are opposed to God. We are to make sure that we are not loving the things that follow from that. And he gives two reasons. The first is this, that you can't love the Father and the things that are opposed and the enemy of the Father at the same time. Does that make sense? They're in conflict with each other. They don't, you can't love both at the same time. And then the second reason, which also connects to the passage we're going to get into this morning, is that the world, this broken, fallen, sinful world, is temporary. And the desires that are broken and sinful are temporary. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but God and his will, and those who have put their faith in him will continue to live forever. They're eternal. So he's saying, don't spend your time loving and pursuing temporary, sinful, corrupted things. Focus your attention and your love and affection on God and his will, because these things will last forever. That's what he wants us to do. So this leads us into our passage because he's talking about living for what truly matters, for what is eternal. And in, in the passage we're going to get into, he moves from encouraging and exhorting his readers to warning them. Very strong warnings are in this passage because he wants to make sure that they and we, as readers who are now reading like 2,000 years later, don't get deceived and led astray from the truth. And he gives two safeguards to make sure, in this passage, he gives two safeguards to make sure that we won't get led astray, that his original readers won't get led astray. I'm not going to tell you what they are right now, because I want you to listen and see if you can pick up on them. Don't worry, I will make sure you know what they are by the end of the message, all right, just in case you're concerned. What is, what is a safeguard? I looked it up and get, got a definition for you. It is a law, rule, or something that is done to protect, everybody say protect, someone or something from harm or damage. Can you think of some safeguards? They range from very simple things that help protect us from undesirable outcomes, like deodorant. I mean, it's a safeguard, isn't it? I, hopefully most of you put some on this morning. And it helps safeguard against the potential embarrassment of noxious odors coming from your armpits, you know. So that's an example of a safeguard. Um, antivirus software. It's a safeguard, protects your computer. The multi-factor authentication, which I really have a love-hate relationship with. But at the heart of this invention is to protect me. It's a safeguard, right? But then it goes all the way to things that are designed to safeguard us against, like, physical harm and even death. Um, the guardrails at the side of a cliff as you're driving the Cabot Trail, 
Very important safeguards right there. A helmet when you are riding a bike or a motorcycle, right? It's designed in the event that you come off to save your life or save you from brain damage, for sure. And here's, here's one of my favorites. Ever, ever seen a movie where the world is facing the potential threat of nuclear destruction, right? What do they do? They have safeguards in place. There's two people who have to put the key in at the same time. I, I have no idea if this is actually true or not, but this is the way they, they, they portray it. Two people put the key in at the same time, and they press the button at the same time, and right? It's all, it's safeguards to make sure that the president doesn't have a bad day, and uh, I don't want to be here, I don't want anybody else to be here, red button, you know, like, it's, it's a safeguard against that and other things. So, but these safeguards we're going to talk about this morning are spiritual safeguards, And they are incredibly important because they are about eternity, right? That's what they're aimed at, is safeguarding our eternity. So listen carefully as we walk through this, and uh, let's see what God has to say. In chapter 2, verses 18 through 21, he begins with these verses describing these false teachers and genuine Christians. So let's jump into verse 18. It says, Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. He says, this is the last hour. I want to talk about that phrase for a moment. He's, he's not refer, referring to a chronological time in the way we might imagine. He's talking about a theological period, a period that comes between when Jesus rose from the dead and when Jesus returns. And he says, it's the last hour. We are getting closer and closer to the return of Jesus. And why does he say that? He says it because there's these antichrists that have arisen. He talks about this. And He's saying basically that what Jesus, what he heard Jesus say and prophesy would happen is beginning to unfold. Jesus said this in Mark 13, 22 to 23, for false messiahs or false Christs and false prophets will appear. They'll perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. That's true believers. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. The presence of these people he calls antichrists is evidence for John that what Jesus has said is beginning to happen. It's the last hour. And he mentions the antichrist. Did you notice that? And then he he mentions many antichrists. Two things. Because in Scripture, we find out that there's this individual who John refers to as the antichrist that's prophesied that will come before Jesus returns. Paul actually talks about him as the man of lawlessness. There are different places in Scripture, different words and terms are used. But he's not focused in this passage on the Antichrist. He acknowledges this individual is coming. But what he is most concerned about is that many Antichrists are already here. 
To help us appreciate this, you have to understand what the word antichrist means. Anti is opposed to or against, and Christ is the anointed one. So he's saying there are already people that have appeared that they're not the antichrist, but they are operating in the spirit of the antichrist because they are opposed to, they are against the anointed one who is Jesus. And then he he goes on to say in verse 19, they, the Antichrist, went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be evident that they, that they are not, they all are not of us. See, he's talking about false teachers. He's put this label on these people. They are false teachers. They are opposed to Christ because they are teaching things that are opposed to Christ. Have you ever heard any teaching that's opposed to Jesus Christ? Their conduct and their teaching is revealing that they are against Christ. They're against his word. They're against his teaching. They are against the anointed one. And this is a problem. And he creates this kind of distinction, this us and them type of scenario. And he says, they are not of us. And he's not being mean, he's just stating a fact. He's saying that you are the true, true, are true believers. Remember, he was addressing them a few verses earlier, and I was telling you about that earlier in the chapter. But these people, these antichrists, they're not of us. They are not true believers. And we're going to find out why he says that. They were physically gathered with them, in the church gathering, but that they were not truly part of God's family. That's what he's saying. Verse 20, but you, in contrast to these antichrists, have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know the truth. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. He's contrasting these believers to these false teachers. As I said, antichrist means against the anointed one. But notice what he says. You have what? An anointing. He's playing with words here. In the Old Testament, mainly prophets, priests, and kings were anointed with special oil. And it signified that the Holy Spirit was coming upon them and enabling them to do what God had given them to do, their task, whether it being, be leading the nation or prophesying in the name of God or being a priest that ministered to God on behalf of the people. And he's saying that in contrast to these people who are against the anointing and the anointed one, you have an anointing. You have an anointing because you have the Holy Spirit, not oil rubbed on your forehead, but the real deal. You have, I have as believers, the very Spirit of God living and dwelling on the inside of us. Can you say amen to that? You have the anointing. And he says that when the, or Jesus said, and John wrote this in John 16, verse 13, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. That's the job of the anointing that, that, that Jesus has given to each of us. 
It's our privilege as Christians, every one of us, to have this anointing, to have the Holy Spirit living within us and teaching us and leading us into the truth. That's your privilege as a true follower of Jesus. In the next verses, the next two verses, he he goes on to talk about the nature and the effect of these false teachers, these antichrists. So let's look at that. Verse 22, who is the liar except the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the anointed one? This is the antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son, acknowledges the Son, has the Father also. See, one of the main lies that these antichrists, these false teachers, are teaching is that Jesus is not the anointed one. He is not the Christ. What is the Christ? In the Old Testament, the word that most often gets used is the Messiah. And the Messiah was somebody who was prophesied, who was a son of God, that God would send as his king, his representative, to establish his kingdom, deliver his people, and ultimately deliver his people from sin. And Jesus showed up, and you can read this in the Gospels, announcing himself to be, demonstrating himself to be this prophesied, anointed Messiah and king. And these false teachers are saying that Jesus is not the Messiah And John is saying that you can't pick and choose between Jesus and the Father. He's saying if you reject Jesus as the anointed one, if you reject Jesus as your king, if you reject him as your savior, then you are at the same time rejecting God the Father. Why why can he say that? Because God sent Jesus. On the other hand, if we receive Jesus, how many of you have received Jesus? Amazing. If we have received Jesus as the Messiah, as the King, as the Savior in our lives, then we are at the same time receiving the Father. They come together as a package. All right, now we get into the safeguards. In verses 24 through 27, it talks about the safeguards that guard and protect us from being deceived and led astray. Listen carefully. It says, as for you, verse 24, see that what you heard from the beginning remains in you. If what you heard from the beginning remains in you, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. In other words, ensuring that what we have heard from the beginning, which we will explain in just a moment, remains in us is the only way to make sure that we are not deceived by those who teach things that are opposed to the truth. What you have heard from the beginning is the truth that the apostles and prophets teach in the scriptures. And he's saying it's not enough For you and I just to have heard at one point in time the truth, we need it to remain in us. And that's the job of the Holy Spirit. 
If what we've heard from the beginning remains in us, then we will remain in the Father and in the Son in relationship with him, and we will experience the eternal life that he has promised to us. How many of you want that? Okay. Like 25. (laughs) Thank you. I, I want to be in relationship with the Father and the Son. I want to experience the eternal life that has been promised to me. And the way that I can make sure I'm not led astray and deceived is to remain in the truth that I have heard from the beginning. The implication is, if we don't have that truth remaining in us, that we're not going to be able to remain in the Son and in the Father and experience the eternal life that he has for us. In verse 26, it says this, These things I have written to you, the things that have just come before, concerning those who are trying to deceive you. And as for you, the anointing, remember the anointing is the Holy Spirit, which you received from him, from Jesus, remains in you. And you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, remain in him. So John is clarifying here that he is writing to make sure that the people he is writing to are not led astray or deceived. And then he tells them another way that they're going to avoid being led astray or deceived. Did you catch what it was? It's connected to the word remain. It's the anointing, the Holy Spirit that remains in them that's going to keep them from being led astray. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us and leads us into the truth. That's his job. Now, there's another interesting thing that comes up in here that might have made your head tilt a little bit. He says, You've got an anointing which you've received from him. It remains in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. Did you catch that? That's interesting, isn't it? Because in Matthew 28, do you remember what the Great Commission says? Jesus sends his disciples, and what does he tell them to do? Go and make disciples and teach them to observe all things That I have commanded you. And in fact, John is teaching them as he writes this letter. John is not confused. He's not saying that you shouldn't listen to any Bible teachers, just listen to the Holy Spirit. Because if he was trying to say that, it wouldn't make any sense whatsoever. He would basically be saying, close the letter and don't listen to me anymore. (laughs) Because he's teaching them. And in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus has given teachers to the church so that we can be equipped and matured and actually so that we can avoid being led astray by various winds of doctrine. So Jesus, the Apostle Paul, John, and the Holy Spirit are not confused here. I'm I'm sure that that's not a newsflash, but just so you know, the context here is it's the false teachers The false teachers are bringing new ideas, new revelation, lies that are not true, and he is saying to them, you don't need this teaching that these false teachers are bringing to you. You don't need it. What you do need is you need the Holy Spirit who will teach you the truth. 
Now, it, it is true, technically, that if I was on a desert island with my Bible and the Holy Spirit, that he could teach me what I needed to know. But I'm thankful that I am part of a group of believers and beyond that, a worldwide universal church and that there are people in God's church, all of us in fact, that are being taught by the Holy Spirit. So I don't know about you, but if somebody else is being taught by the Holy Spirit, I want to hear what they have to say. And if I don't want to hear what they have to say, and it, I'm just like, no, I just need the Bible and me and the Holy Spirit. That's all I want. I don't want to hear what anybody else has to say. Either I, I am missing something and don't realize that the Holy Spirit speaks through other people, or I am already on the process of being deceived because I am proud <laughs> And I think that I have all that I need. I am thankful for the teachers in the body of Christ. I'm thankful for just my brothers and sisters who may not even have a gift of teaching, but the Holy Spirit is speaking to them, speaking to you. I love it when I'm in my men's small group and we are sharing with one another the things that the Holy Spirit is revealing to each of us. And we are enriched because of it. At the same time, what we need to do as we listen to the teaching of God's Word from humans who are capable of being mistaken, right? Anybody else capable of being mistaken? <laughs> as we listen, we need to stay listening to the anointing, the Holy Spirit, because we need to be listening to make sure that what we are hearing aligns with the scriptures that the Holy Spirit has inspired already. We need to make sure that it's true what we're hearing. And that's what John is encouraging. Verse, um, oh, I'm, 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 I'm done. I'm ready to do the application. This is fantastic. All right. So how does this apply to us? I'm glad you asked. I mean, some of the, uh, there's lots of things in here, but I want to I wanna zero in on th three things. I can count. Three things I want to zero in on, and the first is in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it's the last hour. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, maybe you know someone like this, maybe, maybe you are someone like this, we can get hung up on trying to identify the Antichrist. You ever been in conversation with someone or watched a Hollywood movie? And it's, there's this focus, right? This obsession with the Antichrist. Is it this person? Is it that person? Is this, this body of people, are they manifesting the spirit of the Antichrist? You know what? Who is the Antichrist? When will they come? Who will it be? What will they do, right? I would encourage us. Yes, the scriptures say the Antichrist will come. What we need to focus on is making sure that we are not deceived by what is Antichrist. Did you catch what I said there? What is opposed to Christ? The philosophies, the ideologies, the teachings, the things that are in this world that subtly and sometimes very overtly come against Christ and the truth of Christ and the teachings of Christ, the things that are in his word. We, we need to be alert to those things because 
If you and I are alert to those things, you'll, you'll figure out when the, the Antichrist is at work. What we need to be attuned to is the spirit of the Antichrist that is already at work. Because it, it was already at work in the days of John. Can you recognize it? Can you recognize the philosophies, the ideologies, the teaching that is currently in our world today that is opposed to Christ? That's what we need to learn how to discern. How do we guard against being deceived and led astray by these things? There are two ways that hopefully you caught as we went through it. The first is God's Word. The Word that is in us that we have heard from the beginning. It's got to remain in us. See, the only way you and I are going to be able to discern what is false is by having what is true inside of us. Not just one time, you know, I, well, I, read, I read the Bible once, <laughs> and I prayed a prayer and accepted Jesus into my heart, and now I'm good. No, what he is saying here is, what you have heard from the beginning, the truth about Jesus Christ, the truth of God's Word, it has to actively remain inside of you. It has to actively remain inside of me. What we have heard from the beginning, what the Scriptures say, that needs to remain in us. The truth of it must remain in us. We need to keep going back to the truth and Keep saturating ourselves in the truth. That's why groups are so important, small groups, where we gather around and talk about God's Word. That's why daily being in God's Word is so important. It's not something on a checklist. It's not this religious activity or legalistic thing we have to do to get into heaven. <laughs> That's not what it is. It is a way that we keep the truth inside of us so that we do not get led astray. You know, I've been married to my wife, Cecile, for 22 years, and I've known her for almost 30. So if you came to me and you told me something about her, if you made a claim about who she is or what she likes or what she would do in a situation like, for example, Nathan, Cecile just loves steak, I'd be like, unfortunately, that is not true. You are deceived. <laughs> because, why? why? Why would I know that? Because I know the truth about her. Because I have spent time with her. And this is what you and I need to do with God's word. We need to spend time with it. We need to get it inside of us. And we need to keep it there in an active way so that we will not be led astray. In this world, we are bombarded by things that are opposed to Christ. Ideas, philosophies, ideologies. We, you, you just got to turn on Netflix. You listen to song lyrics. You look on social media. You look on YouTube. You, sometimes you look in pulpits. You look on podcasts, graphic novels in our education system. You look in politics. You, you and I are surrounded by things, ideas, and philosophies that are opposed to the truth of Jesus Christ. Do you recognize it? That's the question. Do I recognize it? This idea of remaining, 
having the word of God remaining in us, the truth we've heard from the beginning remaining in us, it's the same word, the same Greek word, that is used in John 15, which may be a familiar passage to some of you, where we are told to abide or remain in Christ. Same word, same idea. We've got to remain in Christ. We've got to remain attached to him in relationship. It expresses a continuing relationship. This is a quote from um, Howard Marshall. It is not enough merely to have heard and assented to the message in time past. The message must continue to be present and active in the lives of those who have heard it. That's you and me. They must continually call it to mind and let it affect their lives. This is why continual study of the word and participation in Christian instruction is so important for, per- for perseverance in the faith. See, um, Cecile and I were recently in Alaska, and Nathaniel, if you could put up a picture, I want to show you an example of how lies can begin to erode the truth that we know. If you look at this um, image, that is Marjorie. It's a glacier called Marjorie. It's one of the most impressive glaciers in Glacier Bay. I don't know if you can see, but in the middle, the ice is pure, right? It's white, it's pristine. Can you see on the outside edges how it's dark? Nathaniel, can you put up the next one? See those dark strips? That glacier is carving its way through those mountains. The ice is so compressed that it is chiseling, driving its way through solid rock and eroding it moment by moment, hour by hour, millimeter by millimeter, year after year, and that's what those bands are. This is what happens to you and I if we don't keep the truth of God remaining in our hearts. The lies come, and we get exposed to them, and they begin to erode the truth that we have at one time heard from the beginning. God doesn't want that to happen. John does not want that to happen. He wants us to remain in the truth and for the truth to remain in us. Otherwise, over time, we can end up being led astray. And And the truth that we believe begins to gradually get eroded. And we end up doing what Adam and Eve did in the garden. And we start defining and redefining for ourselves what is good and what is evil what is right and what is wrong. It's the only way to avoid being led astray is to keep God's word in our hearts so that we know what is true and we can recognize what is not true because we have a standard of truth against which to compare everything we hear with. Okay, second thing, you can take that down. It's beautiful, but you can take it down. (laughs) The second safeguard spiritually speaking, to help us avoid being led astray is the Spirit, the anointing that remains in us. See, God doesn't want us just to have an intellectual relationship with God's Word, with His Word. 
with the truth. We know a whole bunch of facts. He doesn't just want us to know the facts of God's word. He wants us to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, who is the one who reveals the truth that is in God's word to us. We need both, not just the word and not just the spirit. We need God's word remaining in us, and we need God's spirit remaining in us because God's spirit is the one who reveals what the word means to us. He brings correction to us. He exposes when uh, the lies that are coming to us. He enables us to see what is and is not true. And he also enables us to remain in fellowship, in relationship with the Son and the Father. We need the Holy Spirit as well. He teaches us through God's word. See, You need both because if you just have the Word of God, but you don't have the Spirit of God making it alive to you, you won't see the truth that's in God's Word. If you just have the Spirit, but you don't have God's Word, you'll come up with some crazy ideas that you think of the Spirit, but you have nothing to judge it against. We need both. We need God's Word remaining in us. We need God's Spirit remaining in us. And when we have both, we are safeguarded against false ideas and teaching, whether, whether, they are, whether that teaching is coming in a pulpit somewhere, from a podcast, from the education system, it doesn't matter where it's coming from, we're able to discern what is true and we're able to avoid what is false. That's what God wants us to do. Are you able, are you cultivating a relationship with the Holy Spirit? Or are you just approaching the words like it's a dry book? The Holy Spirit wants to breathe life into God's word for you so that you can see and understand and perceive the truth that is in his word. So remember, don't just be looking for the Antichrist. Look for what is opposed to Christ. And we got to be careful when we come across things that are opposed to Christ that we aren't allowing them to remain in us instead of God's Word. We need God's Word. We need God's Spirit. And as we maintain and, and, and have the, both God's Word and God's Spirit remaining in us, we will be able to stay the course and be able to avoid being led astray because the, the Antichrist and the many Antichrists that are already here are inspired by someone. It is the enemy of God, the devil, Satan, whatever you want to call him. That, those are names that are in the scripture. The devil, the enemy of God, is the one inspiring these false ideas. And he has a strategy. And he has a very intentional agenda that he wants for you and me. And that is to lead us astray. So you and I need to be equally as strategic and intentional to make sure that we and our children and the people that we love are not being led astray. And that's how we avoid it, is by being strategically in God's Word so that it can remain in us and by strategically and consistently being in fellowship with the Holy Spirit through His Word, through prayer, through worship, through being in communion with other believers who are filled with His Spirit. As we do do those things strategically, intentionally, and consistently, we will avoid being led astray. Amen?
Would you stand with me? Just close your eyes for a moment, if you would. And and, uh, I believe that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you. He was speaking to me as I was preparing this message as well. What, What is it that he is saying? What is he addressing in your life? Is it this safeguard of God's word? Is it that you haven't been intentional about getting God's word in your heart? Is it that you've got away from consistently remaining in the word so that his word can remain in you? Maybe that's what it is. Or maybe he's challenging you to grow and develop in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit of God is in you if you're a believer and he wants a relationship with you cultivated through prayer, through worship, not just when you come on a Sunday, but in your quiet time, when you're driving, when you're walking, any time throughout the day, is that what the Holy Spirit is challenging you in? Or maybe there's something else specific. I would encourage you, acknowledge it and then act on it. Do something about what God is speaking to you so that you can continue to walk in the truth. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. We want to encourage you to let the Holy Spirit sink today's message into your heart, to let it transform you and bring new life. If you want to learn more about Koinonia, you can go to kcf.life to get connected. Thank you for being a part of our community. If today's message encouraged you, we would love for you to rate it and review it and share it with a friend. We love you. Let's continue to build God's kingdom together.